Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the California sea lion hanging out to my right is Ellen. Or, 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 or. <laughs> no, keep going. I want to see how this goes. I got nothing else. You sure you don't want to do a little bit more? Or, or, or. Give me a ball, I'll balance it on my nose. <laughs> or I could just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 11, the Sorting Hat's new song, and the basically corresponding film scenes. Harry fears he's suffering from hallucinations. Ron doubts the accuracy of the warnings of headwear. Hermione's eyebrows become the newest member of the village people. And Dumbledore comes up with the most Dumbledore way of preventing Harry's soup. During episode 136, Emaciated Horsey Bird, our Potter pondering was, do you think Ron was being ignorant about his rudeness to Nearly Headless Nick, or a deliberate jerk? Hi, Ellen and Katie. It's me, your griffin whore. So, I don't think that Ron was deliberately trying to be rude. I think what the books really showcase is just his lack of tact, right? I think the only time he shows some real compassion when thinking before he speaks or if somebody hurts somebody's feelings is really around Hermione. And I think that was showcased really well. I think he's just kind of clueless sometimes and he doesn't really understand the impact of what he says. And sometimes, just like some of us, he just says things because they pop into his head. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to go with. Because it would hurt me to think that lovable Ron is just out here deliberately being rude towards people. I don't think that fits his character at all to me. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Do I think Ron was being deliberately rude to nearly headless snake? Or was he just ignorant? Y'all know I have to go with the ignorant on this one. That is Ron's baseline to respond like that to people. Everybody. He does it all the time. And I don't think he does it on purpose. I literally think it's a character trait. The stuff that comes out of his mouth. Especially when it's full of food. He was distracted. He was hungry. And he was just saying. He was just saying. And he be needing Hermione to put him in check a lot of times. Like, this is literally his baseline. He probably think everybody's scared of the Baron comparing to Peeves. He's kind of scurry, you know? And where's the lie? Where's the lie? What ghost you know got blood? He was telling the truth, yo. A little bit hurtful, but he was hungry. Look at my boy alone. Hey guys, Jackson here with this week's Pondering. So do I think Ron was being ignorant about his rudeness to Nick or just being a jerk? See, I don't think Ron is a jerk at all. Like, there's been times when he's been one. But a lot of the time, it's just ignorance. 
And I think, yeah, when it came to Nick, it was just ignorance. He was just ignorantly being rude. Yeah, because, like, I don't think there's ever any malice in it. You know, Ron just sometimes doesn't realise what he's saying, doesn't think about what he's saying, you know? So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what Quidditch team poster does Seamus intently focus on hanging on the wall before telling his doormates that his mom didn't want him to return to Hogwarts? Seamus made a meal out of hanging a Kenmare Kestrels poster. Congratulations goes to... Megan Slater. Woohoo! This is her first time winning, and it's so awesome to see a new name in the winner's circle. I wonder if she'll be starting up a streak. We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 11, The Sorting Hat's new song, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 11, The Sorting Hat's new song, Part 2. Everyone's a little taken aback as no teacher has ever interrupted Dumbledore before. But Dumbledore sits back down and gives his full attention to the new teacher. She thanks him for his kind words of welcome in that breathy, high-pitched voice that gives Harry a rush of dislike he can't explain, and then addresses the students, clearing her throat again and saying how lovely it is to be back at Hogwarts and to see all the happy faces looking back at her. Harry looks around and can't see a single happy face as most of them look put off at being addressed like they are five years old. The witch continues speaking, saying she's looking forward to getting to know them all and is sure they will be very good friends. Parvati whispers to Lavender that she will be her friend as long as she doesn't have to borrow that card again, and both girls begin silently giggling. With another hem hem, Umbridge continues her speech, mentioning how the minister has always considered the education of young witches and wizards to be of vital importance, and that the gift must be nurtured and honed by careful instruction to avoid being lost forever, as well as guarded, replenished, and polished by those who have been called to the noble profession of teaching. She gives an unreturned bow to the staff, clears her throat again, and resumes her speech, talking about how each headmaster and headmistress has rightfully brought something new to the school, since without progress, there would be stagnation and decay. She then proceeds to say that progress for progress's sake must be discouraged, since many tried and tested traditions often require no tinkering, saying that they must find a balance. At this point, Harry's mind begins to wander, along with most of the other students, though Professor Umbridge does not seem to notice. She just keeps on talking about how some changes can be for the better, but that others are eventually recognized as errors in judgment and they must move forward, preserving what ought to be preserved, perfecting what needs to be perfected, and pruning wherever they find practices that ought to be prohibited. She then sits and Dumbledore begins clapping. The staff half-heartedly follow his lead, along with a few students, but most don't even realize the speech has ended. Dumbledore stands back up and thanks Umbridge for her illuminating words, and then returns to his own speech. Hermione quietly mutters that it was most illuminating, and Ron can't believe she actually enjoyed it. She clarifies that she said illuminating, not enjoyable, because it explained a lot. 
Harry is surprised she thinks so since he thought it was a load of waffle, but Hermione points out the important stuff hidden within the waffle, like progress for progress's sake being discouraged, and pruning practices that ought to be prohibited, explaining that it means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. Their conversation is interrupted by a lot of clattering and banging, and they realize that Dumbledore has dismissed everyone to their dormitories. Hermione jumps up and reminds Ron that they have to show the first years where to go, and Ron also stands and begins yelling for the first years, calling them midgets. Hermione scolds him and then politely calls for the first years to follow them. They nervously make their way up the aisle, indeed looking smaller than Harry ever remembered them being, and he smiles at them. A blonde boy nudges Ewan Abercrombie and whispers something in his ear, causing him to give Harry a horrified look. Harry stops grinning and dully tells his friends that he will see them later. He makes his way out of the Great Hall, trying to ignore the whispering and staring as he passes everyone, and then hurries up the marble staircase and through some concealed shortcuts to avoid most of the crowd. He feels stupid to not have expected everyone to be like this after everything that happened at the end of the previous year, especially since there wasn't really time to explain then what had happened. When he reaches the portrait of the fat lady outside the Gryffindor common room, he realizes that he doesn't know the new password and stands there glumly as the fat lady tells him no password, no entrance. Neville then comes running up, telling Harry that he knows it and won't forget it for once since it's Mimbulus Mimbletonia. The fat lady swings open, revealing the circular entrance behind her portrait, and the two boys climb in, finding their common room looking just as welcoming as ever. The Weasley twins are pinning something to the bulletin board, and Harry waves at them before heading up to his room since he isn't much in the mood for talking. Neville follows him and they find Dean and Seamus already in their dorm, in the process of covering the walls with posters and photographs. They stop talking as soon as Harry enters the room, making him paranoid that they were talking about him. He says hi, and Dean greets him back, asking if he had a good summer. Harry simply says, not bad, and asks about Dean's in turn. Dean chuckles that it was okay, saying it was better than Seamus's anyway. Neville asks Seamus what happened, and after focusing on hanging his Kenmare Kestrel's Quidditch team poster, he keeps his back to Harry and informs Neville that his mum didn't want him to come back to Hogwarts. Harry asks why, and Seamus doesn't immediately answer or still even look at Harry. When he finally does respond, he tells him that it's because of him and Dumbledore. Harry realizes that she believes the Daily Prophet and thinks he's a liar and Dumbledore is an old fool and angrily gets ready for bed. He's so sick of being stared at and talked about. He climbs into bed, but before he can pull his curtains shut, Seamus asks him what did happen the night Cedric Diggory died. Harry angrily wants to know why he's asking him when he could just read the Daily Prophet like his mother. Seamus tells him not to have a go at his mother, and Harry retorts that he'll have a go at anyone who calls him a liar. The two boys argue a bit more before Ron shows up and wants to know what's going on. Seamus informs him that Harry was having a go at his mother. Ron is surprised to hear this since they met her and liked her, but Harry shouts that that was before she started believing what the Daily Prophet was writing about him. Ron now understands what's going on, and Seamus heatedly says that he doesn't want to share a dormitory with a madman. Starting to get angry himself, Ron tells Seamus that he's out of order and defends Harry, saying he knows he's telling the truth. Seamus calls him mad too, and Ron reminds him that he's a prefect and threatens him with detention. 
Seamus pauses for a moment, then makes a noise of contempt before turning, climbing into his own bed, and yanking the curtains shut so hard he accidentally tears them down. Ron glares at the bed hangings, and then turns to Dean and Neville, asking if either of them have a problem with Harry. Dean shrugs and says his parents are muggles and he isn't stupid enough to tell them about any deaths at Hogwarts. Seamus snaps that his mum will weasel anything out of anyone, and also points out that they don't get the Daily Prophet, and don't know that Dumbledore has been sacked from the Wizengamot and the International Confederation of Wizards because he's losing his marbles. Neville cuts Seamus off and says that his grand thinks that's rubbish. She thinks the Daily Prophet is going downhill, not Dumbledore, and that she canceled their subscription because they believe Harry. Harry feels a rush of gratitude towards Neville. No one else speaks and Seamus gets out his wand to repair his bed curtains and vanish behind them. Dean also gets into bed and Neville, having nothing left to say, just gazes fondly at his cactus. Harry is shaken by the argument because he has always liked Seamus and wonders how many people are going to suggest he's lying or unhinged. He also thinks that if it has been like this for Dumbledore all summer, he might be angry with him and that could be why he hasn't been in touch with him for months. He miserably figures that they'll all know they're right in the end, but also wonders how many attacks like Seamus's he'll have to endure until then. The movie section starts as Dumbledore wishes Professor Umbridge luck and makes to move on in his speech, and the witch clears her throat to cut him off. He looks around at her and she stands and walks towards the podium. Harry leans towards Hermione and whispers that she was at his hearing and informs her that the woman works for Fudge. Hermione glances at him, then looks back towards the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, who is now launching into her own speech. Umbridge thanks Professor Dumbledore for his kind words, then addresses the whole hall, commenting on how lovely it is to see all their bright, happy faces smiling up at her. The camera cuts back to a shot of everyone looking at her with stone faces, and then back to her as she says she's sure that they are all going to be very good friends. Then back to Fred and George as they sarcastically say, that's likely. Umbridge appears to look at them for a moment before returning to her speech, stating that the Ministry of Magic has always considered the education of young witches and wizards to be vital. She mentions how each headmaster has brought something new to Hogwarts and nods in Dumbledore's direction. Dumbledore politely nods back and she resumes speaking, saying progress for progress's sake must be discouraged. Hermione makes an unhappy face as Umbridge adds on that they must preserve what must be preserved, perfect what can be perfected, and prune practices that ought to be prohibited. She punctuates her speech with another little high-pitched laugh and returns to her seat. Dumbledore leads the applause, which is half-hearted from the students, but more enthusiastic from Mr. Filch. He thanks her for her illuminating comments, which causes Ron to question the use of the word, and instead calls it a load of waffle. As Dumbledore returns to his announcements, Hermione explains to Ron and Harry that Umbridge's speech means the Ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. The scene then transitions to an exterior shot of Hogwarts at night, and then to Harry entering the Gryffindor common room. He looks around, confused, as everyone stops what they are doing and stares at him. Trying to ignore the awkwardness, he asks his roommates, Dean and Seamus, if they had a good holiday, and Dean answers that his was all right, better than Seamus's. Seamus slams down the copy of the Daily Prophet he was reading and stands to confront Harry, telling him that his mom didn't want him to come back to Hogwarts because of Harry and all the things the Daily Prophet has been saying about him and Dumbledore. 
Harry is upset to hear that his mother believes the stories, and Seamus points out that no one else was there the night Cedric died. Upset by the attitude, Harry tells him that he should read the prophet like his stupid mother, and it'll tell him everything he needs to know. Seamus tells him not to talk about his mother like that, and Harry insists that he will have a go at anyone who calls him a liar. Ron walks in at this point and asks what is going on. Seamus points at Harry and says that he's mad, asking Ron if he believes the rubbish he's coming out with about you-know-who. Ron informs him that he does and asks if anyone else has a problem with Harry. Everyone stays silent and Harry turns to make his way up the stairs. Ron gives one last look around, then follows after his best friend. Once up in the dormitory, Harry kicks his trunk and Ron asks if he is alright. Harry says he's fine, and Ron tells him that Seamus was bang out of order, and tries to reassure him that he'll come through. Harry snaps that he said he was fine, and Ron says he'll just leave him to his thoughts then. He turns and walks back out of the dormitory, leaving Harry to sigh and sit alone on his bed. The camera focuses on his reflection in the mirror and zooms out as Harry stretches his neck and a creepy whispering is heard. So on the whole, this half of the chapter corresponds pretty well. Yeah. Which is exactly why we organized them the way that we did. Occasionally it works out. (laughs) Thank goodness for this one. It's Mm. not... It's not too crazy. Well, I just meant this book. Well. It's working out far less than it isn't. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But anyway, book and movie both start off with everybody's a little thrown. Mm -hmm. In the book specifically, they mention how nobody has ever interrupted Dumbledore before. Like, not even a teacher. Yeah. You just don't do it. Right? Mm -hmm. But Dumbledore just sits back down and just gives this woman his full attention as if there was nothing else in the world he would rather do than listen to her speak because mm-hmm. Dumbledore knows how to roll with the punches yeah oh yeah Dumbledore knows a lost cause when he sees it <laughs> right <laughs> and Pepto bitch mall thanks him for his kind words of welcome in that breathy high-pitched voice that she fucking nailed in the movie mm-hmm. that just washes over Harry in a wave of dislike <laughs> Right. And I'm sure that happened with a lot of the students. Right. (laughs) And he has no idea why. Mm -hmm. He just hears her speak and goes, oh, God, which let's be honest, don't we all? Right. It's a visceral reaction. I've literally never met or seen online a single person that has said, oh, I love Umbridge. Right. She's universally hated. And if you find me one, I'll show you a liar. Or someone who's like legit evil. But if they're legit evil, there's no way they're going to actually like her. They're evil. But they would appreciate. Not the same thing as like. Mm, It's true. But that feeling of dislike probably increases when she then turns to the rest of the students. Mm -hmm. Does that little thing (laughs) again. Mm -hmm. And says how lovely it is to be back at Hogwarts and see all of the happy faces looking back at her. I just imagine crickets at this point. (laughs) Well, Harry legitimately looks around, probably like, fucking happy faces, what? (laughs) And doesn't see any. He actually sees quite a lot of, you know, teenagers like, why the fuck are you talking to me like this? Yeah. Who the fuck is this bitch? Right? Pepto bitch mall indeed. (laughs) Who is actually completely oblivious to all of this Mm -hmm. or doesn't care. I would go with the latter. Why not both? Sure. She just keeps on keeping on saying that she's looking forward to getting to know all of them and she's sure they will be very good friends. Parvati whispers to Lavender that she'll be her friend as long as she doesn't have to borrow that 
fuzzy pink cardigan and both girls just like break down into giggles but they're doing the like i don't want to get caught silent giggle Mm -hmm. just the shaking shoulders yeah and i kind of wish that we had seen this just because it would have been funny but Mm -hmm. we got something that alluded to it yeah she thanks dumbledore for the welcome and comments to the rest of the great hall that she's so happy to see all the shiny happy children with spirits just aching to be crushed before her i don't think that's what she actually said paraphrasing (laughs) it's a thing i do ellen you know that (laughs) but when we see all the happy faces she's referring to it seems clear that her eyesight is just as bad as her fashion sense because there's not one smile amongst the entire hall (laughs) i actually love it it really is almost like crickets right i do kind of wish that they had just dropped the sound out in that moment (laughs) you can't tell me that they didn't like it really kind of stops for a second where you're just like, huh? Now I have to rewatch it and see because I didn't think it dropped out completely. It like it doesn't. There's still room sound, but I just wish there would have been like just a void of noise. Yes. You know what I mean? That's what I'm referring to. As yeah. Well. So, yes, I do know what you mean. That's about as close as they could get. Same page. Oh, yeah. We know what's up. She doubles down on what has to be sarcasm at this point, saying that she's sure they're all going to be besties soon. And the twins vocalize everyone else's thoughts with a sarcastic, yeah, that's likely. And I'm not upset with the twins getting that line. It was very twin-like. It was very twin-like. The way they delivered it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. It definitely alludes to the I'll be her friend as long as I don't have to borrow that cardigan comment. Right. Since Parvati and Lavender were barely characters in the movie at this point. Exactly. Okay, fine. Give it to the ones that are actually more prevalent. That's fair. Yeah. Give it to the usual ones. Right. It was fitting. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Different, but I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. In the book with another him him. It's not even a real throat clear. No. (laughs) At least in the movie, she kind of goes, but like a throat clear, you think. Yeah. Even if you're trying to do it. (laughs) Anyway. Join us on Just Keep Rolling, where we make weird throat noises for 10 minutes. (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) Pepto Bitch Mall continues her speech talking about how the minister has always considered the education of young witches and wizards to be of vital importance and the gift must be nurtured and honed by careful instruction to avoid being lost forever as well as guarded replenished and polished by those who have been called to the noble profession of teaching now i know we haven't gotten to this point in our compare and contrast section yet but having mentioned it in both of the summaries i am with Ron and Harry, depending on movie or book. It's a fucking load of waffle. Right? This just sounds so scripted. I'm sure that it was. This is like a speech that... She wrote and memorized. Right, exactly. And planned to do this from the get-go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a blanket press statement, really. You know? In the movie, she seems to give the twins a look after they do their, that's likely. (laughs) She kind of stops and like... It looks Doesn't like she, it? It looks at like she looks right at them. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if that's what that's supposed to be. Right. It's funny because I didn't notice it until you pointed it out to me. And I was like, she does. Oh, my God. She does like kind of tilt her head even a little bit. Yeah. Like the fuck did you just say? Say it again. I dare you, motherfucker. I dare you. Do oh, it again. Bitch is taking names. Right. Bitch malls taking names. <laughs> she wishes a motherfucker would. Just say it again. I dare you. Give it time. Mm hmm. 
But she begins with the usual government propaganda about the ministry giving a shit about their education, then gives Dumbledore a nod as she comments on how all the school headmasters have brought their own special touch to the position. And Dumbledore nods back like, oh, thank you for acknowledging me. Very cool. Not knowing what's coming up. Or does he? Oh, he totally does. (laughs) But... So this is all very similar here. Mm -hmm. The slight differences happen because they severely shortened her speech. Yes. Because when she makes that comment about those called to the noble profession of teaching, she bows to all of the staff. Yeah. Not just Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. But none of them bow back. Yeah. It is just she bows and they all just stare. Mm -hmm. Crickets. They all know. Yeah. They all know what's going on. But again, she just clears her throat and keeps on going bringing up how each headmaster and headmistress has rightfully brought something new to the school since without progress there would be stagnation and decay. So now we're back into what she basically started her speech out in the movie on. Mm -hmm. Slightly worded differently, same exact sentiment. No bow at this point. Yeah, exactly. But she then proceeds to say that progress, for progress sake, must be discouraged. Since many tried and tested traditions often require no tinkering. And she says they must find balance. So if you're looking at red flag bingo, this will be the center square because like that's that's the free space. That is the free space on red flag bingo because it's in every story where government starts to take over. It starts with them saying, well, we don't need to change anything. But tradition. 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 <laughs> Even that sentence, progress for progress's sake. Oh, it's infuriating to me. I hate that sentence. What the fuck else is progress for? Right? And it's funny that it comes right after the without progress, there will be stagnation and decay. Right. I mean, not in the movie. Which is why but... it's a load of waffle. Exactly. She's double talking. And if you can't read between the lines, you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. In case you were wondering whether or not there's a politician in the classroom... There's a fucking politician in the classroom. And to further illustrate the fact that her speech is longer in the book than it is in the movie, it's long enough that Harry's mind starts to wander, Mm -hmm. which applies to pretty much all of the students. I think that Ernie McMillan is trying to stay true to his badge and really give it his full attention, but he's just got this glassy-eyed look staring (laughs) up at her and only looks kind of like he's listening when he's really probably completely zoned out. Right. How many people have gone cross-eyed at this point in this speech? I just imagine a lot of people are like, Snape, Snape, <laughs> Severus, Snape. <laughs> As Umbridge is just blah, 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 blah right. in the background. Exactly. Because she doesn't seem to notice that nobody's paying attention anymore. Yeah, even if she does notice, she doesn't care. She has memorized this speech. She's going to get through it. Yeah, exactly. Like, y'all are going to listen to me. Right? So she just keeps talking about how some changes can be for the better, but that others are eventually recognized as errors in judgment, you know, like hiring a werewolf to be a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Despite the fact that he was one of the most knowledgeable Defense Against Dark Arts teachers Probably not they've one had. of. Let's just go with the. Well, yeah. Well, we were talking about how fake Moody actually wasn't terrible as a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Just... He had some questionable practices, but he... as an educator, I think he was very informative. And... His methods were a little um, out there, a little. let's say. He did turn somebody into a ferret, but let's be honest, who feels bad for Malfoy? Literally no one. 
barely his parents. He kind of tortured a few kids, but you know, it was all for the sake of education. I mean, tell me they didn't come away knowing more than they came in there with. Just saying. True story. And let's be real. Hiring Mad-Eye Moody, well, not realizing that Mad-Eye Moody was actually a sadistic Death Eater was probably an error in judgment. True. That is true. So, okay, full circle. Full circle, yeah. So, from those errors in judgment, they must move forward. Learn from their mistakes. Right? Preserving what ought to be preserved, perfecting what needs to be perfected, and pruning wherever they find practices that ought to be prohibited. This is pretty similar in the movie. Although the speech wasn't anywhere near as long, like you said. Yeah. There actually is a deleted scene that shows the speech was actually longer at one point and got the chop in the editing room. But also, the deleted scene itself comes across like a big, hilarious joke scene. And it is hilarious. It is funny as hell, Yeah, man. if you have not had a chance to see this deleted scene... It's Emma Thompson at her finest. It's literally, it just focuses on Trelawney and you can hear Umbridge's speech in the background. And it's a lot more of the waffle from the book. Yeah, exactly. But it's sort of faded because the focus is just 100% on Professor Trelawney as she really fucks up eating, basically. Yeah, it's Trelawney just being her Trelawneyist. Like the seer that can't fucking see. Yeah. She plops cream or sour or double cream or like sour cream, cream or from whipped dessert. cream, yeah. whatever the hell from it was. Yeah. Just plops it on the table. Like, looks down at it and proceeds to do it a second exactly. time. Exactly. And then just takes the spoon and puts it in her drink. Well, she starts to lick it first and then decides against it and puts <laughs> it in her wine. Like, it's ridiculous. And I honestly feel like Yates must have told all of the staff while Umbridge is speaking, just carry on. Mm -hmm. Just mill around in the background yeah. at your table. And I think that's what Emma Thompson was doing. And I think one of the camera guys thought it was so fucking funny that he just turned the camera, or she, over to her and just focused it on her for the entirety of the scene because there was no point to it right? otherwise. But it was so funny. There was zero reason for it. Zero. It added nothing to the movie at all. No. This is one of those times where I'm okay with it getting cut. It shouldn't have ever been filmed, but I'm so glad that it was. You know what? I think it absolutely should have been filmed. <laughs> you will never hear me say that that should not have been recorded because history needs that. That's fair. Yeah. However, it was the most rightfully cut scene. <laughs> it had no business being in the actual movie. No. It had all of the business being in the deleted scenes. Or, you know what, if they had a gag reel, yeah, that would have been be the perfect, perfect spot. It really is hilarious, and y'all should check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but we digress. Again, all it really did is it added to Umbridge's speech, which you don't even notice once you're watching Trelawney do her thing. So it doesn't even matter. But what is in the movie, after Dumbledore's nod, Pepto Bitchmall comes around to the point of her little mission statement saying that progress is pretty unnecessary if they are to be properly indoctrinated into the cult of government control. Hermione frowns as Umbridge continues to lay out her three-step plan for conditioning an entire student body. Step one, preserve the old ways. Step two, perfect what we are told to. And step three, getting rid of all the stuff that makes you a free-thinking individual. Easy peasy, one, two, three, easy. Uh-huh. She giggles once again with her little... <laughs> This is probably the one time that you are coming across very Hermione, <laughs> since you just 
told everybody what was between the lines. And it took Hermione in the book to clarify that for Harry and Ron. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Pepto Bitch Mall giggles once again, her little. <laughs> and she takes her seat as Dumbledore starts a cringy round of applause. And Mr. Filch at this point, attempts to hide his awkward boner because he is all about this. Oh, he got so excited by her speech. He really did. I don't even know if there was still a boner. He may have been trying to hide a wet spot. You know what? That's true. As we have previously discussed in Goblet of Fire, he is a known premature evacuator. So... <laughs> exactly. Full circle. But this is all pretty similar to the book mm -hmm. because when Pepto Bitchmall finishes her speech, she then sits... And Dumbledore begins clapping. Mm-hmm. Ding. Yay. The staff half-heartedly follow his lead. Ding. Ding. Exactly. Some of the students do too, but most of them have just completely lost all attention spans and have no idea the speech even ended. Kind of ding there too. Right. And then Dumbledore stands back up, thanks Umbridge for her illuminating words, and returns to his own speech. Mm -hmm. Now, apparently, they've decided that Dumbledore doesn't have anything of importance to say left because the trio just kind of continue on their own conversation. Oh, yeah, it's just basic. About what Pepto Bitchmall just said, because mm -hmm. Hermione's like, yes, that was most illuminating. And Ron's just like, I can't believe you actually enjoyed that. Ron needs some help with noting sarcasm. Right. Hermione says, I said illuminating, not enjoyable. Or interesting, for that matter. Right? <laughs> she just meant that it was illuminating because it shone a freaking light on why the bitch mall was there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wait. That's what's going on this year. Oh, fun. Oh, shit. This'll be exciting. But Harry, you know, not being Ravenclaw or even considered for Ravenclaw, says that he's surprised she found it illuminating. Because right. he just thought it was a load of waffle. A load of waffle. To which Hermione said, well, yeah, it was, but there was a lot hidden within the waffle. Between the lines. Between the will. lines. As Katie already spelled out for us, progress for progress sake, being discouraged, mm -hmm. and pruning practices that ought to be prohibited clearly means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. Hello? Duh, guys. Come on. In the movie, Dumbledore also thanks Bitch Mall for the illuminating words. But it's Ron that calls it a load of waffle. But Harry then asks what it means, and Ron starts to explain that waffles are a breakfast food. But <laughs> Hermione's eyebrows cut him off to say that it means that this school is about to take a time turner into 1984. That's what it fucking means, guys. Yeah. Shit's about to go down. It does. Yes. In the book... This conversation that they're having gets interrupted when everybody gets up to leave because they realize sure. they actually missed the rest of the speech. <laughs> Dumbledore has dismissed them all to their dormitories. And Hermione's just like, oh, shit, we're supposed to be prefects. Ron, we got to take the first years up to the dorms. <laughs> we got stuff to do, guy. And Ron's like, oh, yeah. And he stands up and starts yelling, oi, first years, midgets, you lot this way. <laughs> Ronald Weasley. Oh, Ron. Which is basically what Hermione says. Mm -hmm. She's like, you can't call them that. He's like, what? They're titchy. <laughs> but Hermione shows him the proper way to address the first years. Just saying, first years, this way, please. And 
as they start making their way up the aisle, Harry's just like, man, they are a lot smaller. Was I ever that small? I don't think I was ever that small. They are, Rot's right. They're midgets. I feel this way about anyone <laughs> under the age of 30 at this point, really. I'm like, oh, you're so little. <laughs> you're so little. It's so cute. Anyway. Even though he might be thinking they're super little, he's still much nicer than Ron and doesn't say it out loud and just smiles at them as they're walking towards them. Mm-hmm. But then this blonde boy that's standing next to the one first-year Gryffindor that we actually know the name of, Ewan Abercrombie, mm -hmm. is approaching at the front of the crowd, I'm sure, with a blonde boy standing next to him who nudges him and whispers something in his ear. And then Ewan looks up at Harry and just looks terrified. Yeah. And Harry's just like, fuck. <laughs> Even the little ones are fucked. They already think I'm mad. I can't even be like the cool older student. Come on. Fuck this noise. Stops grinning. Dully tells Ron and Hermione that he'll see him later and makes his way out of the Great Hall. Again, he has his emaciated horsey bird blinders on just trying to not look at anybody and everybody that's whispering pointing and staring mm -hmm. but he still hasn't snapped and yelled at anybody or lunged at them in the book yet so far so good he hurries up the marble staircase and thanks to the marauders map he knows all of the little shortcuts and ways around so he actually sneaks through past everybody avoids the crowd and gets to the fat lady's portrait right outside the gryffindor common room without really having to deal with anybody else only to realize he does not know the password Oh, that sucks. But he also feels really stupid because he thinks he should have expected this. He thinks that he should have known that after the way things went down last year and nobody getting any real answers, that they were all going to look at him funny. Yeah, but I don't think anything could have prepared him, prepared him yeah. for how bad it is. And how much it sucks to deal with. Yeah. Because even knowing it could happen doesn't... It doesn't prepare you for the reality. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But he ends up standing in front of the fat lady, feeling like shit, not able to get in because she's just like, no password, no entrance. Mm -hmm. Like, bitch, you've known me for five years. Come on. She's had bad experiences with people breaking in Gryffindor Tower. Let's be honest. That's true, I suppose. But Neville to the rescue, he comes running up so excited because for once he's not going to forget the password as it just miraculously happened to be... Mimulus Mimbletonia, the cactus-like thing with elephantitis that his great-uncle Algy got him for his birthday that summer. What luck! I honestly think that McGonagall wrote home and asked his grandmother what would be a good password for me to make Gryffindor Tower this year so Neville won't forget it. For the love of God, give me ideas, woman. Literally, that's my theory. <laughs> Headcanon. <laughs> but since he knows the password, the fat lady lets them both in. And they climb through that circular entrance behind her portrait, finding the common room looking just as welcoming as ever. And probably the only reason why it actually looks welcoming is because basically nobody's in there. Yeah. So it's just the comfy chairs and the lit fire. And you do have the Weasley twins hanging something up on the bulletin board. But other than that, most everybody has gone upstairs and is like unpacking and shit. Yeah. Harry just waves at the twins because he's past the point of feeling like talking yeah he's done even though they're on his side he's just i'm going straight up to my room and going to bed yeah and neville just follows him and when they get upstairs they find dean and seamus already there in the dorm but they're in the process of covering the walls around their beds with posters and photographs right so so much for all those shortcuts harry thought he knew 
since everybody got there first anyway. Well, I kind of wonder if he actually stood around a little bit longer. Mm, maybe. They were talking for a while. People got up and left. True. Okay. That makes more sense. So I think like the bulk of them may have gotten there ahead of time. And maybe the shortcuts are actually a little bit more indirect. But there were less people. But less people. So, so that's what he was really good. Yeah, that makes more sense. I don't know. I take it back. Yeah, that's just my thoughts is maybe it got him there faster. Maybe it just made him avoid crowds. Yeah, makes sense. And I also think that it's entirely possible, not being prefects, that Dean and Seamus were just like out. Yeah, true. And you know that Fred and George know those shortcuts too, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But none of that was included in the movie. Though it does basically line back up here, just in a slightly different location. It's all still Gryffindor. Mm hmm. But. <laughs> but yeah, Harry enters the Gryffindor common room and everyone suddenly stops talking. Which is far less welcoming. Oh, yes, definitely. Like, they still got the cushy armchairs and the fire, but... Everybody's silent and staring. Yeah. Worried that his name just came out of the Goblet of Fire again, he looks around and waits for Dumbledore to jump out of the shadows to attack him. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Again! Ah! <laughs> what? No! <laughs> when no Dumbledore appears... Whew! He tries to change the subject by asking Dean and Seamus if they had a good summer. Dean politely answers that his was okay, but indicates that Seamus wasn't as lucky. Seamus slams down his paper and answers the unasked question, saying that his mom didn't want him to come back to Hogwarts this year because of Harry and all the super clever wordplay the Daily Prophet has come up with about him. Yeah, and in the book, like I said, the common room is comparatively empty and Harry and Neville just make it all the way up to their dorm before they encounter Dean and Seamus. Mm -hmm. They do stop talking as soon as Harry enters the room, making him paranoid that they were talking about him. So that is at least semi on par with the movie, except obviously in the common room, it was the whole group of Gryffindors. It was everybody. Compared yeah. to two. Exactly. Similarly to the movie, Harry says hi and Dean greets him back, mm -hmm. except Dean asks him first if he had a good summer. And Harry's just like, how do I put this into words? Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> but then he asks how Dean's was. It's kind of the same way when you have a conversation with someone, you're like, oh, how you doing? Fine. Because you don't want to actually say how you're doing. Right. And you're like, fine. How about you? That's what they're expecting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm good. That's the conversation. Well, I had to fight off some Dementors and... Then I had to go to court and it Almost was a whole expelled, deal. Yeah, was... Dumbledore saved the day, but he won't look at me, which has been really super depressing. Yeah. I've actually been staying at the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix. No, you know what? It, it was all right. It was good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Doing good. How about you? Dean chuckles and says that his was okay, better than Seamus's anyway. And it's Neville who actually does pose the question, asking Seamus what happened. Mm -hmm. And Seamus just gets hyper-focused on hanging his Kenmare Kestrel's Quidditch team poster. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. That's late in the episode, man. Right? <laughs> but he's just making a meal of it, as the book describes it. Yeah. And the entire time, he's keeping his back towards Harry. Won't even look at him. Mm -hmm. And eventually, he finally tells Neville that his mom didn't want him to come back to Hogwarts. Yep. So ding. Ding. We got a ding, guys. Harry flat out asks why. And again, Seamus is not immediately responding, still refusing to look at him. Mm hmm And finally does say it's because of him and Dumbledore. Yeah. And despite not being in Ravenclaw, it clicks for Harry pretty immediately. Oh. She reads the Daily Prophet and believes I'm a liar and Dumbledore is an old fool. Well, shit. 
And at this point, he's had enough. But instead of saying anything, he just angrily starts getting ready for bed. Mm -hmm. Aggressive dressing. Aggressive undressing first. <laughs> yes. And he's just so sick of being stared at and talked about, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. But he is still geared up to ignore it. And he climbs into bed and goes to pull his curtain shut. But before he can, Seamus just flat out asks him what happened the night Cedric died. Dude, have some tact. He doesn't. There is no tact there whatsoever. And this is when Harry finally snaps at someone. But it's still not even that bad. He still just says, why are you asking me when you could just read the Daily Prophet like your mother? Mm. Not your stupid mother. Not your stupid. No, he doesn't actually just come out and insult her. Your mother. Yeah. And for some reason, Seamus still tells him not to have a go at his mother. I mean, he kind of was. I guess kind of, was... sort of. I feel like that's weak, but whatever. Yeah. Harry says that he'll have a go at anyone who calls him a liar. And then the two boys just kind of argue back and forth until Ron shows up and wants to know what's going on. Yeah. You're a dick. No, you're a dick. No, you're a dick. Your mom's stupid. Yeah. Don't talk about my mom. I'll talk about your mom if she calls me a liar. <laughs> you are a liar. And Harry's just like, well, why don't you go see Professor McGonagall and tell her that you don't want to share a dorm room with a madman? <laughs> and they're just going back and forth. And that's when Ron shows up. Again, similar in the movie where Harry incredulously asks if his mother believes what she reads, and Seamus points out that no one was there the night Cedric died, and as we all know, wordplay is a dead giveaway that something is true. Obviously. Obviously. Mind you, when he walked in, we did see a Daily Prophet where the word changed from potter to plotter. Yes. <laughs> so we're still on that wordplay train. So clever. Mm-hmm. So Harry just takes the high road and tells him that he and his stupid head mom should just go fly a kite or some shit. Seamus gets a bit touchy about Harry talking smack, and Harry tells him that everyone gets touchy with his mom, so he'll fit right in. <laughs> oh, oh, burn! Do you see that? What? Yeah. Luckily, Ron walks in before a proper football hooligan brawl can begin and asks what the fuck is going on. You and your paraphrasing. <laughs> I do love it so. <laughs> so in the book, it starts to differ a little bit here because Seamus is just flat out tattling on Harry like he's having a go at my mom. And Ron's just like, what do you mean? We met your mom. We liked her. And Harry was just like, well, that was until she started believing what the Daily Prophet was writing about me. Yeah. Now she thinks I'm a plotter. And Ron has a very quick light bulb moment. Like it just clicks for him. Mm -hmm. He actually gets immediately why Harry's upset. And Seamus is just like, you know what? Maybe I don't want to share a dormitory with a madman, which actually makes Ron mad because he's being a very loyal friend this book. Yeah. And he tells Seamus that he is bang out of order defending Harry, who he knows is telling the truth. Yeah. It's never so a question for He's just Ron. like, he's not a madman. Stop being a douchebag. Yeah. And Seamus just tells him that he's mad too. And Ron's like, well, unfortunately for you, I'm also a prefect. And I just loved how he worded that. Right. You're mad too. I'm also a prefect. <laughs> like, I might be mad. <laughs> but I'm, I'm mad with power. Power. <laughs> and he tells him that if he says anything else give him a detention mm -hmm. and Seamus pauses for a moment almost like he's considering a detention being worth what he wants right? to say but instead he just makes a noise of contempt and turns climbs into his own bed and yanks the curtains shut so violently he actually just ends up tearing him down so then he's just sitting in bed trying to make an exit like he slammed the door and it just fell on him <laughs> that's so sad <laughs> and funny 
right? It's like when you try to hang up the phone, but it doesn't actually hang up. So you're just like, oh, fuck me. Fuck fuck you again. Or how about trying to angrily hang up a cell phone? Oh, that's not possible. Right? That's just not possible. So he literally tries to slam his curtain shut and just rips them down. <laughs> well, this backfired. And I really wish that we could have seen it like that in the movie. I think that it played out just fine. Mm-hmm. But I think having it as a more of a private moment than a full in front of everybody, front of everybody moment, yeah. I think that that relationship between them could have been a little bit more focused on. I also think that Seamus Moore wanted answers in the book. Yeah. And didn't really get angry until Harry had a go at his mom. Started to bring his mom into it. Yeah. Movie Seamus was just pissed from the start. Oh, he started in slamming down his paper and right. like... Uh, cause you fucked up. That's why I had a bad summer. Thanks, dickhead. Right. So I really just kind of wish that it had been done a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, it is, like we said, still fairly similar in the movie. Since Seamus calls Harry batshit cray and asks Ron if he believes all this Voldy shit he's coming up with. And obviously completely forgetting who he's asking. Like, this is his best friend. He's going to be like, no, I don't believe him. I'm just his best friend. Yeah, they showed up together. Hello. You think all of a sudden, because you're talking some shit, that Ron's going to be like, oh, no, I think he's bad shit. Yeah, he's insane. You're right. He is crazy. Let's be besties. Yeah, right? But no. Ron just responds and he's just like, yeah, duh. Of course I fucking believe him. Come on. And he lets everyone know that he's got a whole can of whoop ass ready to open if anyone else has something to say about it. Like, he's not fucking around. He's like, anybody else? Anyone? Anyone? Come on. Bueller? I can do this shit all day, guys. But luckily, he doesn't have to because this shuts everyone up and Harry just bolts it. He makes his way up the stairs and Ron just looks at everyone like daring him to say something else before he I follows right behind I wish a bitch him. would. Right? Wish a motherfucker would. Slightly different since he couldn't threaten them with detention as a prefect. True. But similar sentiment. Mm-hmm. Still had Harry's back. That's the important thing. Yep. Other than that, it's slightly different here since it takes place in the dormitory, not the common room, like we've mm -hmm. already said. Harry can't angrily get dressed in the or common undressed, room. Right. Or undressed, yes. There's also more details in the book. As there usually are. Yes. But, but yes. After Seamus accidentally tears down his bed hangings, Ron just glares at them. But then he turns to Dean and Neville, asking if either of them have a problem with Harry. So instead of addressing the whole room, he addresses the other two in the room. I guess it's technically still it's the whole still room. still the whole room, yeah. Just not as many people in it. And Dean just shrugs. He's just like, my parents are muggles, man. I'm not stupid enough to tell them anything about people dying at Hogwarts. Dean is smart, man. Yeah. <laughs> Which this kind of annoys Seamus because it's not like he told them. It's mm -hmm. not like he told his parents. Yeah. His parents found out. Yeah. A, Seamus says his mom will weasel anything out of anyone. And they get the Daily Prophet. They know that Dumbledore has been sacked from the Wizengamot and the International Confederation of Wizards because he's losing his marbles. So says the Daily Prophet. So says the Daily Prophet. Mm-hmm. Dean's parents don't get that because they're not wizards exactly. or witches. So it's a lot easier for him to hide things like that. Yeah. Which is understandable that Seamus gets annoyed here. Yeah. But it's still the same idea where it's like, at least Dean is smart enough to not come home and be like, so hey, a kid died. Right? Super creepy forbidden contest. <laughs> yeah. Mom, you should have seen this shit. It was <laughs> I saw nuts. a dead body. But anyway. Good times. Yeah. So I'm going back next year, right? Right. 
<laughs> wonder who's gonna die next <laughs> but yeah dean didn't do any of that and no. to be fair seamus didn't either he just was in a situation where his parents finding out made it unavoidable right and he's talking about everything the daily prophet's been printing about dumbledore but neville cut seamus off to say that his grand thinks that's rubbish she thinks the daily prophet is what's going downhill not dumbledore and she just full-on canceled their subscription because they believe harry one of the first times you actually like neville's grand yes but i do love this moment with neville and harry especially he just feels this rush of gratitude towards him mm-hmm and I think what's really great, even though he was so embarrassed earlier about being found by Cho Chang in the compartment covered in stink sap with Looney Lovegood and Neville Longbottom, I think it eventually clicks for them how they are genuinely his true friends because they're his friends, not because he's Harry Potter. Yeah. And I think this is one of the first moments where he really starts to see that. Mm -hmm. He sees they have his back. Yes. You know, nothing shows that more than when everybody else hates you. Right. And then nobody else speaks up at this point. So Seamus just fixes his bed curtains and disappears behind them. And then Dean also gets into bed and Neville has said his piece. So he just gazes fondly at his cactus with elephantitis. Sure. Like you do. <laughs> and it's just a nice little... I would say almost bittersweet moment because it sucks for Harry that this just happened. But at the same time, he's starting to see who his true friends are. Yeah. He feels less alone. Yes. There is a deleted scene that lines up with this, though again in a different general location. For the life of me, I don't know why they didn't leave it in. It's so short. It was, what, three seconds? Barely anything. Yeah takes place right after Harry and Ron go upstairs. It would have practically been a transition scene. I don't know why. Exactly. And it's just so simple and it said so much. Because it was just literally Neville saying that his grand says the Daily Prophet's rubbish and yeah. they believe Harry. They cancel their subscription. They stand with Harry. So it is very much a ding moment that then got deleted, except for the fact that it wasn't said in front of Harry. Yeah. And that is my one complaint Two, if you count the fact that it got deleted in well, the first place. Yes, of course. Aside from the obvious. <laughs> but we didn't get it. Yates. Instead, the camera follows Harry into the dorm where he, king of taking his emotions out on bedroom furniture, gives his trunk a swift kick. And Ron asks if he's all right. Harry says he is, but somehow Ron just doesn't believe him. And he tries to raise his spirits a bit by telling him that Seamus was basically being a shithead but don't worry he'll come around eventually and at this point harry's like just done he cuts him off and just reiterates that he said he's fine gosh <laughs> jeez ron fuck off and ron's like all right cool he gives up and he decides to let moody mooderton just be alone with his thoughts and Ron walks out as harry sighs and he sits down on his bed and kind of serpentines his neck as we hear some more creepy-ass whispering, which isn't foreboding at all. Not even a little bit. Not even a bit. Not even the way that Harry, like, moves his neck. I don't get it, but whatever, that's what they did. It seemed like a choice that they used, because he did it numerous times. Yeah. He moved his neck, and it was very much reminiscent of the way Voldemort craned his right. neck on the platform Which during Harry's creepy-ass dream. I guess you could argue that the presence of the Horcrux, well, 
bit of his soul was causing him to kind of act like him at different points. And that's how they chose to show that. I mean, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was just Voldy starting to get into his head. Yeah. Really. So. I guess, yeah, it was still just kind of weird. Creepy for sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was meant to be. So. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) But I think that it took away from what was going on in the book because he wasn't angry Mm -hmm. at this point. He was more upset frustrated yeah he was actually more hurt and they kind of made harry out to be a dick in this scene that he yelled at his own best friend yeah when in the book he did have that little bit of hope from neville's comment mm-hmm. but in the movie he didn't see that comment being made yeah nobody did really because no, yeah, it got, it got cut, cut. But... but the book chapter ends a little bit differently especially since they were all in the dorm getting ready for bed it's not like harry could just wander off on his own the Mm -hmm. closest he got to being left alone with his thoughts was everybody else going to bed and closing their curtains basically yeah and he is alone with his thoughts at this point Mm -hmm. and like i said he's not angry he's shaken Mm -hmm. he's always liked seamus they've always gotten along really well and now he just wonders how many people are going to suggest that he's lying or unhinged all of them that's what it seems right at this point this also makes him think that if this is what dumbledore has been dealing with all summer that must be why he's not speaking to him yeah he's like pissed yeah he just thinks that dumbledore's just mad at him for getting him into this mess basically i was like oh harry so naive damn it potter you went and caused me all this trouble now people think i'm senile and shit (laughs) damn it i gotta save your ass again which i mean from Harry's perspective, it's not like he knows any different. I mean, maybe movie Dumbledore. Well, that is true. <laughs> but not book Dumbledore. Very true. So he's just miserable. Not angry. He's miserable. But mm-hmm. he also knows that eventually everyone's going to know that he and Dumbledore are telling the truth. Yeah. And the Daily Prophet's being a douche rag. That's an excellent word for that paper right, <laughs> right? now. <laughs> And this is a similar sentiment that Ron expressed. Yeah. But it's just internally coming from within Harry because he's not actually angry. He's more dejected. Yeah. But then he also finds himself wondering how many more attacks like Seamus is that he's going to have to deal with until the truth comes out and is believed. I'm going to go with not less than one. (laughs) (laughs) Probably more than that. Yeah. But that's the end of our movie and book scenes yep and like we said we did see imelda staunton come in to her bitchy own in this scene and it was great but there's so much more yet we're still not there yet we can talk about our one lane wonder we did have alfie enoch as dean thomas and he did wonderfully he did his one line wonderfully as he usually does we're so proud of him and he's getting adorable. Can oh, we just yeah. Say? He's getting so adorable. He grew up so nicely. But yeah, yay one line. Yay one line. <laughs> Delivered well. Mm-hmm. We also had Devin Murray as Seamus Finnegan. And I mean, aside from being a little bit roided out. Like, right? He was so angry. <laughs> aside from all the anger he was showing, which I mean, I don't think that was really his issue. I feel like he was directed to be like that. Yeah. But I still think he should have maybe eased into it. A little bit. He just went zero to 100 real fucking fast. Yeah, especially since 
He got to go back to Hogwarts. It's not like he got stuck at home. He was there. Right? If you really actually want information, I don't know, maybe try asking nicely. Yeah. Instead of launching right into the yelling and demanding. Yeah, just chill a little bit, guy. But I did love his, like, mad side eye at Harry in the the Great Hall. It was pretty impressive. He's a very likable character as well. I actually Mm -hmm. always kind of wondered if he initially auditioned for Harry Potter and they liked him so much they didn't want him to be Harry Potter, but they liked him so much that they were like, we need you to do something. You're going to be Seamus Finnegan and... Mm -hmm. We're going to let you blow shit up. Like, I just yeah. feel like they gave Seamus a lot more than any other character. Yeah. And that's what that always makes me think. I agree. Yeah. I think that he was in the running for Harry Potter and didn't get it. So they were, like, apologizing for that. Right. Because <laughs> they're like, we like you, man. But we like you. We cannot cast you as Harry. But you know what? You get to blow shit up. Blow shit up. Second best thing. Yeah. <laughs> We also saw Matthew Lewis as Neville Longbottom, but he didn't really do anything, especially because his one scene got deleted. Yeah. And he's got so much more coming. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, we'll get to talk about him. So Exactly. So let's just move on to we'll our Potter pondering. Mm-hmm. Which is, how do you think they come up with the passwords for the Gryffindor Tower? And what would you make it if it was your choice? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. And don't forget, you can also stitch a response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Robert Griffey. He writes, I'm half and half. Me dad's a muggle, mum's a witch. Bit of a nasty shock for him when he found out. <laughs> I'm Slytherin, married to a Hufflepuff. My wand is Elmwood with a dragon heartstring core, 12 and a half in hard flexibility. And my Patronus is a Nebelung cat. Growing up, my great-grandma would buy me the books as they came out. But since school forced me to read, I refused to read for fun. Watching the movies is how I got with the fandom. It wasn't until about five years ago when I got a new supervisor at work that he introduced me to podcasts. Trying to figure out what to start with, I searched for Harry Potter. After a few years, I found Swish and Flick, which were already 45 episodes in. I figured I'd download the audiobooks and listen to the series before listening. Well, it took me a little under a month to listen to the books three times, now currently on my 10th reread. After reading, I got caught up with the podcast within a week and a half. I even have a shout-out at the end of episode 102. Sorry, had to throw that in. You ladies are doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Robert. Yes, thank you. And enjoy your shout-out in episode 137 of Just Keep Rolling. (laughs) (laughs) And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, who has made Gryffindor Quidditch captain in Harry's fifth year at Hogwarts? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word... Do I have to say this, Ellen? Yep. And the code word hashtag not all of her wood will get a sticker. (laughs) The things I do for you. 
Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.